Please take out your Bibles and a turn to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to be in chapter 22 and 23 this morning. And you know, really this morning, my, my prayer is exactly what we have just, I, I pray, hopefully expressed to the Lord in worship. Uh, musically, and that now we're going to express that to the Lord in worship through study. And I'm going to do my best to make this about the Word this morning. And so this is probably going to be a little unpolished and um, not quite as uh, flowing, maybe, as as it is some Sundays. But I, I really want this to be about the Word of God. Two Sundays ago, we began looking at the revival that began under Josiah in the book of 2 Kings. And the Bible says that Josiah, they found the book of the law. We talked about the four specific things that took place as the revival began. They found the book, they read the book, they heard the book, and they responded. And we talked about Josiah's response to what he heard. It wasn't just gathering together. It wasn't just cleansing the temple and doing those things. It was a very specific process that God put together. And as those things happened, Josiah, as the leader, begins to experience God. And in that revival, it begins to spread to the nation. And so this morning, we're going to kind of pick up the second part of that. Josiah is about 26 years of age. He's been on the throne about 18 years. He came to the throne at age 8, and he is surrounded by people who were godly men who sought the counsel of the Lord and led him as he led the nation to follow after God. And so it's in that setting that we pick up our reading this morning and what uh, God says. We're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 22, and if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 14, so Hilkiah the priest... Ahiakam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asai went to the prophetess Huldah, wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. They spoke with her. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Say to the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place and will not be quenched. Say this to the king of Judah who sent to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am going to bring on this place. Then they reported to the king. Verse 1 of chapter 23, So the king sent messengers, and they gathered to him all the elders of Jerusalem and Judah. Then the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the people from the youngest to the oldest. As they listened, he read all the words at the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. 
Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his mind and with all his heart and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. All the people agreed to the covenant. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's some things that this passage teaches us. That the second part as we begin, the start of the heart, two weeks ago, the start of the heart in revival. And this morning, I want us to look at the personal rep- response to the start of the heart. God starts our heart as we understand His Word, as we come into His presence uh, physically and, and understand that God spoke to us. This isn't just a good book. These aren't just good suggestions. This really is the Word of God, the authority of God, the letter of God, the, 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 the power of God to work in our lives. And so God speaks to us, and when He does, there's some things that He says are to be our personal response. And, and the first thing that this passage shows us is that we're all the same. One of the reasons that I really believe God impressed upon my heart, and He really did. I mean, I, I don't hear the Lord speak in audible words. Um, God speaks to me through His Word and through impressions and through people that, that say, hey, man, I'm praying for you, or this is going on. And, and literally for about a week, I've just been impressed that this is what I was supposed to do today, to make it about this and not about me sometimes being a little much, too much, you know. And, and this morning, I really was toying with that idea. And the early service is a, just a different service. And, and I thought, you know, if I sit down in a chair up there, they're liable to, you know, crucify me. And so um, the Lord just took care of that. He really did. He just shut my mic down, okay? I started to do the children's sermon, and my mic just quit. And we thought we fixed it last or two weeks ago, and we didn't. It just quit. And, and so the Lord put me behind the pulpit. And, and that was probably harder um, than this, okay? Because at least here, I can move a little bit like this, okay? But this morning, there's some things that this passage says. And the first thing that I want you to see and us to see is that we are all the same. I want you to look at verses 15 and yeah, 16, 17. She said to them, This is what the Lord God of Israel says. Say to the man who sent you to me. And if you mark or underline your Bibles, I want you to mark the word man. And then out in the margin beside it, write, We are all the same. Say this to the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants, fulfilling all the words of the book that the king of Judah has read because they have abandoned me and burned incense to other gods in order to provoke me with all the work of their hands. My wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Huldah is a prophetess. She is a lady. Uh, she is the wife of a priest, probably a Levite. Uh, you, we read up there in verse 14 that she was the wife of uh, Shalom, the son of Tikba. He was in charge of the wardrobe, so he was somebody who worked in the temple uh, process and and. And she is a prophetess. That means that God speaks through her uh, and has in the past. She is close. The Bible uh, tells us that she was there in Jerusalem. In the book of Legends, uh, it tells us that she prophesied in the court of women because she had a dwelling there. So it's somebody she lives in, in the temple complex. And, um, and, and so she's probably, because she's close, uh, in close proximity, and she has spoken the counsel of God in the past, uh, the, the closest person that they have to go to to find out what God really wants to happen now that Josiah has found the Word of God is, is Huldah. And so they go to Huldah, and she tells them. And the first thing she says is, Say 
to the man. And, and, you know, this isn't just a man. I mean, this is the king. Josiah's king. He's been on the throne for 18 years. He has started a revival through the cleansing of the temple. Josiah has authority. Josiah can have her head. Okay? And, and we don't quite grasp the respect that, that the, the monarchy of God carried with it. And, and, and so she comes, and she just speaks the word of the Lord, and she says, say to the man, he's not a king. He's just a man. He is like everyone else. There is no standing when it comes to God. Kings, priests, uh, servants, and slaves, uh, middle class, upper class, Republicans, and Democrats, and independents. Uh, it doesn't matter what race. It doesn't matter what color. There is no standing when it comes to one being before the Lord. And that's exactly what Huldah begins to communicate. She wants the nation to understand that just because you think you've got privilege or place, you don't. We all come to God in the same way. Josiah, the king, stands before God without rank or privilege. In the book of Acts, in the 10th chapter, the 34th verse, Peter has been told by God to go to Cornelius' house. And God's like, or Peter's like, never God, I'm not going to do that because uh, clean things don't have any business associating with unclean things and Jews don't associate with Gentiles. And if you remember the story, that's where Peter is given a vision where God lowers a blanket with clean and unclean animals and he tells Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says, absolutely not. I'm not I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says to him, don't call what I've made unclean. And then in verse 34 of chapter 10, uh, Peter says, as he enters the house of Cornelius and understands that Cornelius is a God follower, that his heart has been convicted and he wants to know the way of salvation, Peter says there, I understand now that God does not show favoritism that he doesn't show standing but in every nation the person who fears him fears God and does righteousness that one is acceptable to him and so Peter begins to understand that there is no standing when it comes before God guys just none of us is getting out of this life without judgment and the only way your judgment is going to be covered is if you have a blood-covering relationship to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. I mean, I don't care what you've done, your Christian heritage, uh, your, your uh, good works that you've piled up, um, your, you know, what, whatever you think it is that, that you have done to deserve to be saved, the only way any of us is getting into heaven is by grace, through God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. God graciously extends to all who will come His grace. God draws us. He calls us. He gives us, Paul says, the very faith to believe in Him. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And this faith, this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. We, we ain't getting out of this place unless we have a relationship to Jesus Christ. Peter figured that out. Luke uh, tells us the story of the two thieves who were crucified on either side of Jesus. One of them starts to crucify him. The other thief says, wait a minute. Don't you understand we're under the same sentence? 
And then he turns to Jesus and says, Today, Lord, when you come to your kingdom, would you remember me? And Jesus tells him, Today. Today. Not soul sleep. Not purgatory. Not resting in the grave. Today. You'll be with me in paradise. And we need to begin to understand we all get to Christ some way. We, 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 man, we can't forget that. And, and I really think part of the ineffectiveness of the, the body of Christ today in our world is that we've begun to believe that, that we, we don't need it anymore. That I've got what I need. and Man, I'm just going to go through the motions. And Sundays are just Sundays. And, and Mondays are just Mondays. And the Bible's just the Bible. No, no, it is the Word of God. It is the power of salvation for all who will believe. And we need to begin to realize that I've got to have a life change. And if I have a life change, then somebody else needs to have that life change. God wants us to understand. For by grace are you saved, we saved, me saved, all of us. We're all under the same sentence. Paul writes in Romans 3.23 and says, For all have sinned. I've done, I've told you this before, I've done a Greek word study of that three-letter word all you know what it means all nothing fancy all every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God Paul writes Romans 6 23 and the wages what we deserve because of that is death but the gift the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord you and I need to understand we are all the same that person out on the street that doesn't know Jesus they're just like we were before we came to faith. And what they need is a relationship to Jesus Christ. That person that knows Christ, that's not walking with Christ right now, or has upset you, or hurt you, or wronged you, or derailed you, you know what? That person's the same person in need of grace and love and God's restoration and revival as you are, as I am. We are all the same before the Lord. And the second thing that he says is not only is that we are all the same, but it's my heart that must respond. Look at verse 18. Say this to the king of Judah. Now, if you mark it on your Bible, circle the word king, and out beside it, write personal responsibility. Say to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord God of Israel says, as for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Then they reported to the king. Not only do we come to God the same way through grace, not only are we the same, okay, not only does it does all that, but the second thing that this passage teaches us, if I want revival in my heart, is I have to make a personal decision. It has to be personal for me. And, and Hulda, this same lady, has the second part of the message to the king and and she addresses him as king because that's who he is he is an individual and and it was Josiah's heart and his response to the word of God that started all this he he responded not as king he responded as an individual he heard God's word he laid himself on the altar and at first he was saying oh what have we done what have this people done but what what was really going on in his life is 
He was making the personal choice. He had individual concerns. He had individual needs. He knew that his sin was a part of this. He couldn't look at the people and go, see what you did. He was a part of it. And because he was a part of it, he had to respond. And he did. The Bible said that his heart was tender. And, and that, that word for tender means that he chose to soften his heart. He made the conscious choice to let the word of God that they found, that they were reading, that they heard. He made the conscious choice to say, this touches me. His heart was tender. He softened his heart. He tore his clothes. It was an outward sign of of remorse but the Bible also says that he wept and that means that he groaned these weren't some little sniffle tears okay he he groaned he realized his personal cost to to what had happened he couldn't blame his ancestors he couldn't blame those people who had gone before him he owned it and he laid everything bare and wept before the Lord Okay, that, that's what he did. I was reading this morning before I came to church in my, my morning, my daily Bible study, and I just happened across a passage in Job 16. I want you to remember who Job is. Job was the righteous man, okay? Job's the dude that God bragged on. I want you to remember that. Job 16, verses 15, 16, and 17, the Bible says, Job speaking says, My eyes are red with tears. My forehead is rubbed raw because my face is in the dirt before the Lord. I put sackcloth on my body and on my heart. I'm telling you, if Job sensed a need to personally repent, how much more do we as individuals need to repent before God Almighty of what He wants to do in our life and what the authority of His Word is supposed to be and what He wants to do. And, 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 and the reality is this. God wants to move in our hearts. God wants revival for your home. He wants healing for your marriage. He wants restoration for your faith. God wants you to understand that you are loved, that, that there is nothing that you can do that will put you outside the grace of Almighty God. But you have to make that choice to open your heart and allow Him to be Lord. You have to soften. I can't do that for you. A few years ago, and I started sharing a little bit about this story on Wednesday night, I was pastoring on the Gulf Coast in Santa Fe. And one of the things that I've done in my ministry for the last 33 years is I've made a commitment as much as I can to go to youth camp as a pastor with, with the kids that, that I have an opportunity to, to pastor. And, and I do that as much as I can because my pastor did that for me and it let me get to know my pastor in a different way. Long story, we had gone to uh, Palacios by the Bay, Texas Baptist Encampment, the oldest Baptist encampment in the state of Texas, the first place that Baptists began to gather to go to camp. And we showed up down at camp, and, and I, I'd been pastor at Arcadia for about three years. I hated Palacios, okay? It is, it is a God-awful place. It is the armpit of the world, okay? Um, it is the worst place in the world to go to camp. Uh, it is on the Gulf Coast. There is no beach. There is a seawall that has about a five-foot drop. There is a constant stench because for about the first 30 or 40 yards out into the bay, there is a pile of dead mussel shells. You can't swim there. You can't walk there. And this hot breeze blows across the gulf and picks up the stench 
of those dead muscles that are rotting there in the sun and blows it into an open-air tabernacle. Okay, that's where you worship. No air conditioning out there. It smells like somebody has cotton mouth and they ate an onion and drank a cup of coffee and they're breathing on you like, ah, they're a mouth breather, okay? I mean, that, it's just bad. And I don't, I don't, I didn't like Pelasgus. We'd been to camp there about three years. I was doing anything in my power to find a different place to go to camp. And during that week that we were getting ready to go to camp, a couple in our church, a senior adult couple, Don and, and, and uh, Jeannie Rogers, they had their rebellious 14-year-old granddaughter who came to live with them because she wouldn't obey her parents. And her parents kicked her out of the home, and they thought it would be a good idea to send her to camp with me. I already have a bad attitude. Okay, I'm telling you that. We have an old Dodge van that was around. I think Noah rolled it off the ark. The air conditioner did not work in the van. We pulled a trailer for our luggage, and I kid you not, I'm not speaking pastorally. This is the truth. It was an old, uh, like an old Wells Fargo type trailer, but the roof, many years before I was ever there, began to leak. And the guy who owned it that loaned it to us to take our stuff to camp was a taxidermist. His name was Mickey Donahue. And what Mickey did, instead of patching the roof, is when he would have an extra deer hide or elk hide or moose hide or bear hide, he'd just strap it down on top. So we had this van pulling this trailer that was mounded up with all of these skins. We looked like the clampets. <laughs> and I pulled into Palacios without a youth pastor, 13 kids, one other adult sponsor, and, and, and I did not want to be there. What I didn't know is there had been a group of people who had committed for, for that whole summer to walk those campgrounds and fast and pray for God to move. And so we get all checked in. We get through the first day. We're going to worship the first night. The first night we're there. The guy who's leading worship is a guy named David Guyon. David was the minister of music and worship at Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio. He has a former one of his youth a uh, guy named uh, Roger who's leading, Robert Roger, I can't remember his name, who's leading uh, the worship that weekend. And David's preaching. And we get up the first night, and David says, I want you to understand, we've gone through worship. It's time for him to preach. Uh, we're sitting there in that open-air tabernacle. And David says, I want you to understand, I had a message to preach tonight, uh, but the Holy Spirit's just laid on my heart that we're not supposed to preach. I'm supposed to tell you very simply, the altar is open. God wants to move in your heart. I'm going to ask you know, the band to begin to play. They begin to play just uh, uh, an invitation hymn very softly, very just consistently over and over again. And I'm sitting back there as a pastor thinking, what have I gotten myself into? But I'm wanting to tell you, about the moment that I thought that, I felt the presence of God descend on that worship center to the point that the hair on the back of my neck stood up. It was so thick, I felt like I could cut the presence of God with a knife. And I began to watch kids and adults pop up. Nobody preaching, nobody singing, and go to the altar and get on their face before God. God began to speak to my heart. I just began to confess a really bad attitude. Confess that I believed God wanted to move in the hearts of those kids. Confess that God wanted to move in my heart. It wasn't just about those kids. That was a beautiful thing. What I realized is God wanted to do something in Sean Brewer. God didn't care about everybody else that was there. He wanted to change me. And I began to pray. Before long, I felt a tap on my shoulder. 
And I opened my eyes, and there was that 14-year-old little girl standing there. And she said, Brother Sean, I need to ask Jesus to be Lord of my life. Will you tell me how? We took 13 kids to camp. 11 of them gave their heart to Christ. One of the others surrendered the ministry. still in ministry today. God moved, and God got the glory. I'm telling you, that's what God wants to do. But it just depends on whether or not you and I are going to open our hearts and say everything's on the table, my guard is down, everything is out there, nothing's going to stand in the way, no relationship, no past hurt, no agony, no anger, no bitterness. I'm laying out, God, whatever you want to do, I'm open. I'm here, and I want you to speak in my life. Last time I preached, two Sundays ago, I got, like I said, a little wound up, and there were a couple of sins in particular that I said our nation's going to have to repent of. One of those is the sin of abortion. The other is the sin of same-sex marriage, homosexuality. And I said our nation's going to repent. But I want to tell you something. The Lord laid on my heart that maybe there's some, some of you here, either men or women, who've gone through those sins. I want you to understand they are not beyond there is no sin that is beyond grace. Maybe you've, maybe you've had an abortion or maybe you've ended uh, the relationship, uh, pregnancy of your, your girlfriend that way. Maybe that was your counsel. Let me tell you something. That's not beyond grace. Maybe you've struggled with the sin of homosexuality in the past. That is not beyond grace. There is no sin that is beyond grace. God wants us to know His love. And he wants us to know who he is. And, and he wants to heal and to restore those areas of our lives that are out of whack. That Satan is using to whip us with guilt and to whip us with, with bitterness and hurt and pain. It boils down to this. Will I let him? Will I let his grace apply to my life? Paul writes in Romans 12, the whole 12 chapters about Christian ethics. It's about how our life is lived out in the world. It's how it looks. Verse 18, he says this, As far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. You know what he's saying? That may not be the case. Let me tell you something. I believe it is the case for believers that he wants us to be at peace. He wants relationships restored. And man, the last thing he wants is some of us carrying around some bitterness. And so here I am today to tell you this. If I have hurt any of you or offended you in any way, I ask for your forgiveness. And if I don't know what I've done, you tell me, and I'll apologize. And I'm doing that because this is the third part, and I want you to get this. The third part is I have to lead the charge. Look at verse 23, chapter 23, verse 1, 2, and 3. So the king sent messengers, and they all gathered to him, all the elders of Jerusalem and Judah. And the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the people from the youngest to the oldest. As they listened, he read all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found pardon me, in the Lord's temple. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his mind and with all his heart. The king's leading, I want you to see that, and to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book, all the people agreed to the covenant. Josiah responded, but he wasn't the only one. Josiah responded, but it didn't stop with him. It started with him. It started with his response to what God said through his word, but it didn't end there. 
You see, Josiah was a leader. And he used his headship to lead the people to renew their covenant. He set the example. You see, if leaders don't follow God, how will the people they are leading ever follow God? And, and, and that's what we have to do in our homes. He, he reads, he hears, he responds spiritually maturely, and the people follow. They renew the covenant. Now, that had happened several times under Moses and under Samuel, under Joshua, under Ezra. They, people had renewed their covenant. It was a civil thing. Yeah, Lord, it's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, if we started playing the Star Spangled Banner right now, every single one of us would stand, we'd find a flag It's not even in here. We'd put our hand over our heart, and we'd pledge allegiance to the flag. It's just what we do, okay? Well, that, Israel had done this before. It was just kind of a national pledge. Folks, Josiah wasn't asking for a national pledge. He was asking for broken hearts. He was asking that the people respond just like he had, that they would intentionally soften their heart, that they would begin to own their personal sin, and they would respond in sincerity of worship and truth. I'll tell you something. I don't know what your home looks like today, okay? It could be a single-parent home. It could be an empty nest home. It could be a traditional home with mother and father and kids. It can be a widowed home or a widower home. It can be a blended home with, with kids from different previous marriages. I, I tell you what, guys, some of you right here, you guys are the leaders in your home, okay? Because you're here today in worship and are here consistently in worship, and your families aren't, all right? You're the leader. I want you to understand that, okay? And I, I praise God for you that you're, you're here and you're doing this. I, I don't care what your home looks like. What I'm telling you, the Word of God says is to the leader of the home, lead. And lead with integrity. And lead with sincerity. And lead with a broken heart before God. And if you'll do that, your home will follow. That's what God wants from us as our homes committed to the Lord. I shared with you earlier today a story in the children's sermon about Samuel and, I mean, uh, Josh, Jonathan and some honey. Before he gets to the honey, Jonathan started the war. He started the battle. Go back and read that sometime, about verse 8. The Bible says that Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Hey, I got a great idea. How about me and you? You see, there's a garrison of Philistines over there. We don't know how many were in the garrison. The Bible tells us how many that Jonathan killed. There was a bunch, maybe 200, 300 guys armed for battle. Jonathan says to his armor bearer, Hey, I got a great idea. How about me and you go take on the garrison? Just the two of us. Hey, don't you think that'll be a good idea? And what we'll do is we'll go show ourselves to them. And if they tell us stay there, we're just going to stay where we are. And probably go, uh-oh. <laughs> but if they say, come up, we're going to go up because we're going to take that as a sign that the Lord has delivered them into our hands. Now, in military strength, elevation is better, okay? So Jonathan says, if they tell us to come up, even though it's not the best military idea, we're going to go up because God's given our hands. And you know what the armor bearer says about verse 14, or verse 8? You go, and I'm with you. Why? 
because Jonathan was a leader of integrity who believed in the Lord and believed in his power. I'm telling you guys, if you'll start leading your home, your home will follow. You'll start being the man or woman of God that God's called you to be, the mom or dad of God God's called you to be, the child of God that God's called you to be, your home will follow. That's exactly what it says. We are to lead the charge. And I don't care what your home looks like, but you set the example to follow boldly the word of God as the authority of God in your home, and your home will follow. This morning, God's grace calls for a response. It does. And, and, and we're all the same. So God's grace calls for every one of us to respond somehow, some way. God wants to do something. God, if you're breathing, he ain't done with you, okay? He's not finished. He wants to do something in your life. And, and, and so this morning, what's my response to grace? It needs to be real. It means I need to lay it all aside, I need to open it up, and I need to unburden my life. And there's some burdens that some of us are carrying around, and they are just getting heavy. And there are three ways that you can respond to that burden. One, you just keep doing what you're doing, okay? You can just keep it to yourself and keep carrying it, man, just like sucking on a, on a lemon and on every morning. You get up, and God's giving you a new day, but that person hurt you, or that person said that about you, or that person did that to you, or you heard that that person did it, and they may not have even done it, or you're mad because of this, or you're upset because of that, or God hadn't, and God shouldn't, and God couldn't, and you get up in the morning, and you just take a bite out of that lemon and get mad at the world all over again. How's that working out for you? Okay, if you want to just keep doing that, keep doing it. Okay, just, just keep sucking on that lemon and um, walking around, you know, breathing bad breath all over everybody. If that's what you want to do, man, I'm tired of breathing halitosis on people. Okay, I want to start breathing life on people. You know, my friend John Randall used to say that. Man, I want to be a life breather. I want to breathe life on and into people. There's another way you can handle it, and I think it's a Christian response, and that is privately, personally, where you are. You just own it. Hey, this is the issue, and you lay it down at the altar, or you lay it down on the altar of your heart and say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your restoration. I need your healing. Okay, there may be some situations you can't get healed anymore. You can't go to that person to deal with it, but it needs to be healed, and it needs to be laid down, and it needs to be done with. And, and sincerely, the best of your ability, lay it down. There's another way, and that is to find somebody that you trust, somebody that cares about you, who will pray with you about that and help you unpack it and help you find some scripture to stand on. we got a lot of men and women in this church, our deacons and their wives, who will do that with you. Man, they want to help you unpack some stuff. There's some of you here this morning, another group that's here, and your response to grace is different. It's not that you need to unpack something. It's needed that you need to take up something. You need to take up the yoke of lordship and salvation. You need to be saved. You're not getting out of here based upon your spiritual pedigree. You're getting out of here because you have a relationship to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, that's what you need. Right now, the Holy Spirit is just banging on the door of your heart saying, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you. I want you. And what you need is by faith to accept God's grace and ask the Lord to come into your heart, be Lord of your life, forgive you of your sin, save you. There's some dads here today that need to take that step. 
There's some moms here today who say, you know what, I'm tired of playing this thing anymore. I won't get real. There's some kids here today who need to say, you know what, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I'm tired of playing at this thing. I want to take up the yoke of lordship and ask Jesus to be Lord. I don't know where you are, but God does. And in just a moment, we're going to worship. And as we worship, my challenge to you is to worship. It's not the same. He wants to do something different. To taste and see that he is good.